0: Colossians 3, Colossians 3 please, can someone shout out when they've got a church Bible open at Colossians 3, what page number is on? Be... 1184, that person wins the prize for the speediest find of Colossians 3, brilliant. We're going to read the first 17 verses and uh, I've called this sermon. It's not rocket science. It's rocket theology. (laughs) Chapter 3 verse 1. I'll wait until you found it. Some of you prefer to listen. That's okay. Colossians 3 chapter 1. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ... I'm going to change that to the word that's in the Greek. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We are your truly grateful, hungry people. So Father, speak now by your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name for transformation, for life change, for instruction that leads to repentance and new life in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, have mercy u- upon us in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Some of us have traveled far and wide. Anyone here been to another country? A few of you? Some of you are from another country and you still didn't put your hands up. That's weird. We find ourselves sometimes in conversations humbly waiting when someone is talking about where they've been to or how many countries they've been to. We humbly wait to pounce with a country that we've been to uh, or or several countries that we've been to. Well, maybe it's not so much humbly waiting but more just the appearance of humility. I mean, we could say things like um, France... Tick. Australia. Tick. (laughs) Ghana. Tick. Isle of Wight. It's not another country I know. Tick. Cambodia. Tick. Three hours later as you rolled the countries off. Burkina Faso. Gotcha. You haven't been there on your holidays, have you? So I win the little, uh, little game around the countries. We should try this list that we've just read in chapter 3, verse 5, and then verses 8 and 9. All together now. Sexual immorality. (laughs) Impurity. Evil desire. Coveting. There's a lot of silent ticks out there. Idolatry, anger, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying, tick, 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 tick. More ticks than I got in nine years of education at school. You don't need me to tell you that this is all the bad stuff. And it's only Sunday morning. Oh, it's only quarter past 11. Look what we've read out already. If this were included as an Olympic sport, we would all be on the gold podium, receiving the gold medal for the things that our sins deserve. This is why Paul is covering it. The difficulty, of course, is that for some of us, some of these things are still an acute problem in our lives, which is Different for different people, but we will struggle with this and you will struggle with that, and it's a real problem. The lustful man doesn't stop lusting overnight just because he's come to Christ. The coveting woman doesn't stop coveting just because she's come to Christ overnight. Hence, some of these things are and remain a problem for us that Christ is working on. In the image of the, 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 the illustration that Rachel used earlier, we put things back on. We keep going back to the same old things. The scriptures talk about a dog that returns to its vomit. Another, oh, it's not even twenty past eleven on a Sunday morning. We desperately need to hear God's word on this. Because I was quite surprised that nobody said tick when I started going through these lists. This is why we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us we need Christ. We need to hear it and to let the Word of Christ so dwell in us richly that it is a transformative effect upon us by God's Spirit, praise God. And only God can do this real work of real Christian faith. For example, does anyone here have a garden does anybody have a garden where they nurture, love, care for, feed, and grow the weeds? No, but guess what? They keep growing, don't they? No matter what you do, they keep growing, and every morning they come up with a new song. Cooey. We're still here. And out you go again, pulling them up by their roots. They're like that Greek myth, the serpent... Hydro. You, know, you know the one you cut off a head and another one grows back in its place? This is what our weeds are like. And this is what sin can be like when it engulfs us, when we clothe ourselves with these things. And Paul knows this too. This is what's so amazing about this chapter. This chapter 3 here. He knows he is dealing with people like us. People who need Christ. And we're here today... Because we know we need Him. I hope and pray. In chapter 2, he'd already dealt with the, uh, the mystical false teachings of all these people that were giving false instruction in the church. Talking of their dreams and their visions and their worship of angels and their Sabbath festivals and their new moon Sabbaths and everything that the do not handle, do not taste, do not touch the rules and regulations of a man-made religion being imposed onto the grace of Christ. Paul says, no! No! It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Set us free from all these things. And the reason why Paul makes this terrible list of human vices in chapter 3 is this. Because the lives of the false teachers that Paul is dealing with lived like this. Their theology was reflected in their life. Their belief shaped their action. Now think about your action and your belief, and you will see how much Christ is at work. Their teaching was rot, and their lives were rotten to the core. And the only solution, according to Paul, is not all of these fancy extras, all of these Bits that we bolt on to religion to make it look good and sound good and appear good. Not that stuff, no. But it's chapter 2 verses 11 to 15 and chapter 3, 1 to 4. It is nothing less than the cross, resurrection, ascension and reign of Jesus Christ. Seek the things where Christ is, Paul says in chapter 3. It is the cross and resurrection and what it is achieved and nothing else, Paul will say. We need Christ. We need nothing but Christ, which is why in verse 11 Paul says, That's why Christ is all and is in all. And so the cross of Christ is our vision. We often worry about vision, don't we? I think I heard, were you playing Be Thou My Vision as you were warming up this morning? It's at the end today, so you we're, you were, we're going to sing that later Be Thou My Vision. Christ is the vision. Christ alone. He is the transforming power that we need to change. And some of us here, and myself included, need that transforming power most urgently. I need to know the fullness of Christ in my life or nothing. All or nothing. Now, you you will love God for sure, but sometimes His higher power has not been able to expel the power that holds you in some of these sins. His higher power has not been able to do that just yet. Press on. Press on. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Verse 1. And now verse 2. No, I'm joking, no, no. You might say after all of that, Richard, is that it? Just seek Christ? And I would say in answer to that, that's the gospel rules. I'm just passing on the message. You might reply to that, but it's hard, Richard. It's hard. I might say, boo-hoo. Follow Christ. And you might say, you can't say boo-hoo, Richard. You're a pastor. And I will reply, I said boo-hoo because I am a pastor. Seek Christ. Seek the things above where he is. And this whole thing going on in Colossians is a biblical teaching that produces biblical and holy living. Because it says, doesn't it, let me just put my glass on because everything has gone mysteriously blurry. Blurry. Verse 12, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, you might say, but I'm not holy, Richard, come on, and I will say in response, get to know Jesus, that's all you've got to do. And if Christ is in you, and he's holy, ta-da, let him go to work, he will make you holy in his sight. It's not rocket science, church. What is it? It's rocket theology. That's what it is. The biblical way is the ethical life. That's why many people here have, for example, worked hard all their lives. Anyone here work hard all their lives? I want to see a lot of hands now, church. Let's go. Let's have some interaction, please. Yes, Richard, you might say. And I might respond, thank you very much. We've worked hard all our lives because we're Protestants and we're famous for the Protestant work ethic. Work ethic. The ethic is the foundation on which we build our lives in order to work hard in this life. In response to what God has done, we work hard, we play hard, and we pray hard. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Now, Jesus does also deliver us from the sin of workaholism, that is true. I'm not going to talk about that today. But when I say work ethic, you know what I mean. I don't have to explain what ethics means. You know what I mean when I say ethic. It's a foundational thing out of which spring the principles for the way you live your life. You have an undergirding of values that produce the ethic of hard work. That's a good thing especially if you have been delivered from or even avoided Satan's trap of workaholism. I pray you have. But the Bible here is saying that the gospel, when applied, when taken seriously, when lived out, produces the ethical life. Just look at all this gorgeous fruit in chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. This is what the Bible calls fruit. Dear, uh, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, here comes the fruit, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another, forgive one another, uh, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all of these virtues, not the vices from before, over all of these virtues, put on love. And you might say, well, Richard, nobody's perfect. Perfect. And I might say, amen, brother, but press on in Jesus Christ. Keep on going. And you might reply to that and say, what, And do this for the rest of my life? And I might say, no, just try it for six days a week. Have yourself an unethical Sabbath every week and see how that goes. Of course, try it for every day of your life, right? It's hard, isn't it? is precisely what paul's struggle was in romans 7 13 to 25 he says i do not i do not understand my own actions i do the things i don't want to do i don't do the things i know i should do and then he cries out who's going to rescue me from this what from this body of death and what does he say thanks be to god through Jesus Christ our Lord. And here we see our utter need of Christ. For even when we fall and fail, we have a Savior who is sufficient to lift us up. And what does he say? Go again. Go again. Keep going. Keep going. That's what he says. You might say to me at this point, But Richard, this sounds rather too demanding. (laughs) It is, isn't it, really? And I will reply to you, I never hear you complain when God is too merciful. This Christian life is too hard. It's tough. It's demanding. There are demands placed on us. I've never once, even from my own lips, God, this is too much mercy Lord, this is too much grace. You need to limit the grace and the mercy, which is what I would like to do naturally, right? But we do complain when it gets tough. I would say, we never complain when God is being merciful. And then I would say, well, just get on with it, bruv, right? Because Christian faith is that tension between the extreme demand put on Christ I dare you put on Christ the extreme demand if your right eye causes you to sin cut it out if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off blah 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 sermon on the mount try living that out for one day without wounding yourself with the bits of you that sin so we have extreme demand and then we have the extreme mercy of God who raises us up in repentant faith and says go again my child Go again. How cool is that? Right. I want to end with a, two quotes. One of my earliest influences was someone who you will know, I'm sure. Let's have another show of hands for this one. A.W. Tozer. Anybody? Amazing guy. He wrote a book in 1960 called Of God and Men. So if you have a seatbelt with you, Buckle up right now, right? Because you're going to need it. He's talking of the moral, ethical life that the gospel enables the believer to live, right? Or should. It's a bit long, but it's Sunday morning, and you've got nothing else to do and nowhere else to go. So just wait. Quote, No person is better off for knowing that God created the heaven and the earth. Ahab and Judas knew that God created the heaven and the earth. The devil knows it too. No person is better for knowing that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die for their redemption. There are millions in hell who know that truth. He said, biblical theological truth is useless until it's obeyed. The purpose behind all this doctrine is to secure moral action. Moral action. Because Christian faith is not just observing it, but an entering into it. It requires faith-inspired action, which is my second quote now, by novelist Nathaniel Hawthorne, who was born in 1804 he said this. This is a great image for understanding that to understand Christ, we've got to enter in to his life. We've got to enter into his life. He said this. Christian faith is like a grand cathedral with divine, divinely pictured windows. Standing outside the cathedral, you can see no glory, nor can you imagine any glory, but standing inside... Every ray of light reveals a harmony of unspeakable splendors. How beautiful is that? Enter into Christ and you will experience His harmony of unspeakable splendors. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's it. And Christ is inviting us again today. And so we seek Christ only. We let his peace rule in our hearts. We let his word dwell in us richly. We do everything in Jesus' name. And that hydra serpent of sin will eventually be defeated in you because of Christ. And you will say, Richard, (laughs) Christianity works. And I will say, I know. God is good. God bless you, church.